Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. We are continuing our birth series, and this week we are talking about breastfeeding. Now, I know a lot of us think that breastfeeding should feel really instinctual and natural, and we should just somehow know how to do it. But the sad reality is, is that most women will have some sort of a struggle with breastfeeding, whether that's issues latching, issues with supply, or simply wondering if they're even doing it right or if the baby is eating enough. You all know that I am pregnant, and so here in about 10 or 15 weeks, I will get my initiation into breastfeeding, and I'm sure I am in for so many lessons and so many new things to learn. But when I asked on Instagram what kinds of questions you had about breastfeeding, I received almost 100 responses uh, full of questions from, are lactation cookies worthwhile? How do I prevent mastitis? What are the best positions to breastfeed in? What would be the signs that something's not going well? How much do babies even really need? So I just knew that we needed to include a breastfeeding episode here on the birth series so that all of us could learn together and we could get an expert's opinion on breastfeeding and how to set ourselves up for success. Our guest on today's episode is Andrea Haskin, and she is a mama of two, a former middle school English teacher, and a certified lactation counselor and peer breastfeeding counselor with La Leche League in upstate New York. You are going to love this episode because Andrea is so knowledgeable. She just kept throwing out little nuggets throughout this whole episode. You'll see, you're just, you'll continue to just learn and want to write things down. We talk about so many of the, the big things, like what is a lactation counselor and who would maybe need one of those? How do you avoid some of the common struggles with breastfeeding? What are the most important things to know about keeping milk supply up? What do we need to know about pumping? What about food and nourishment while breastfeeding? How many calories are needed while we're breastfeeding? How do we prevent mastitis? What's the best way to breastfeed and use a bottle? What if we want to store our milk supply? How do we do that? Like there are so many layers to this and I know her and I could do like 90 episodes together to go through all the layers of breastfeeding, but I know that this episode will be an incredible gift to anybody that listens to it and whether you've breastfed before or you're a new mom, you will get something from this episode that will serve you or someone you know. As you're listening to this interview with Andrea today, if you love this episode or if you just love this podcast as a whole, it means so much when you leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. So thank you so much to everyone that has done that over the years. And let's just get started. Here is our episode on breastfeeding with Andrea Haskin. Welcome, Andrea. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast during our pregnancy and birth series. How are you today? Good. I'm so excited. Yay. I'm excited to chat with you. Being a first-time mom pregnant right now, I'm like, I <laughs> I have all the questions and I'm super excited to have an expert like you on. Um, so I guess to just dive right in, why did you become a certified lactation consultant? What was the desire back behind that? Well, I, well, my official title is Certified Lactation Counselor, and I know it gets really confusing with all the different certifications, but the reasoning behind was 
just like ever since I had my first daughter six years ago, almost as soon as I quote unquote figured out breastfeeding, I just like fell in love with it. And I wanted to help like everyone, all my friends that got pregnant at the same time as me, I was like, I'll help you. And I, I wanted to be like that person. And shortly after I started going to La Leche League meetings and La Leche League is a free breastfeeding support organization that's in most towns and cities. And then I became a leader um, a couple years after that. So I've been a leader since 2020 and I just fell in love with helping people. I just think breastfeeding is this amazing relationship that a lot of people, unfortunately, in our culture don't get to experience, and I just want others to experience how amazing it is, um, like I did. So I went and did some training to become a lactation counselor, and um, yeah, it just sort of like grew into my passion from when I first started doing it. How beautiful. So it sounds like with your first, there was some struggle, like I think most first time moms have, like figuring it all out in the latch. And then once you got it, you totally fell in love with it. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't really have physical problems. Like most women have this huge, you know, huge problems. And then they want to become a lactation solid because they overcame. It was more these emotional and kind of mental challenges of breastfeeding that I struggled with. And that kind of also connects to why I started my Instagram account, Instinctual Mothering, because like I could never trust myself. And that's like part of the hardest part of breastfeeding for me is like you have to trust your body. And since a very, and from a very young age, we're, we're told like not to trust your body and it's risky and you have to trust doctors and like outside sources. So it was more of a mental challenge for me, like trying to figure out, is she actually eating? And so that was the struggle I had. And that's why I also like created my whole business and platform to like help moms tune into our instincts because it's like something that's not really common anymore. We have so much outside noise going on. We can't trust ourselves. Exactly. And just to give you a little like you're doing a good job moment, that's exactly why I loved your Instagram account and why I was like, of all the lactation consultants on Instagram, I was like her. <laughs> I oh, want to talk to her because, yeah, you really do focus on that, it, it, connecting moms to their power and their intuition and their instincts, we could say. Let's just dive in with the first big question. Breastfeeding is, I think, the goal for most women, but unfortunately, we hear about so much struggle with breastfeeding. So for some women, it's super painful and they can never get the latch right, and that's really disheartening for them. Or some women struggle with milk supply, or some women find pumping too difficult. And, you know, in our fast-paced world, it seems like there's such little emphasis on how to breastfeed, and it's, it's like it's a subconscious push to just get the baby on the bottle you know, disconnect um, as soon as possible for ease. So with your wisdom in this realm, where do these struggles with breastfeeding usually begin? Well, there's a couple, I mean, we could talk like hours on this, but there's like a couple areas I see it go wrong frequently. The first thing, it, well, like I said, not educating yourself because honestly, like I did a little piece a couple of weeks ago on my Instagram about like finding a pediatrician but when it, at the end of the day, like they are not trained in, in breastfeeding and you're kind of like, sadly, and this is like 
not a fact I'm happy with, but like you're on your own when it comes to breastfeeding. Like you have to advocate for yourself and educate yourself because no one, conventional doctors and pediatricians are not going to be the support that you're looking for. So that would be one thing. But then the first kind of thing that can throw things off is like birth interventions and not saying like everyone needs a perfect birth in order to breastfeed. But I hear from so many people that are like, you know, we had a three-day birth, I haven't slept, you know, I had an emergency C-section, I had a hemorrhage, or something along those lines, and it's like, they're overwhelmed already entering motherhood, and all these, like, things that are happening in, you know, hospital births are a factor, and like I said, I had two hospital births, and I breastfed, like, it's not an end-all, be-all, but it is a factor when you look throughout, like, all these women, like, yeah, it's affecting people. Um, so that's something. And then also, like I said, the mental health piece, as far as like not trusting yourself, not getting support, full support. So a lot of times women are encouraged, like, it's not worth it. Fed is best. Like, it's not worth your mental health. But it's like, we're not addressing those mental health issues at the root. We're just kind of like covering it up with, like you said, convenience things. And you know, it's not in the long run, a woman might be more depressed or anxious because she had to stop breastfeeding than she would have been if she got the proper support. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, going back to work is another thing I see with moms. And a lot of the times, as far as low supply, um, a lot of times, low supply kind of there's a root cause some women have physiological things obviously that cause low supply but like I said before with the birth interventions and then early supplementation because of this that and the other thing whether it be birth trauma or different procedures they want to do in the hospital people don't realize that early supplementation can like be detrimental especially in the beginning And then some women, when they go back to work, they just like don't think they're pumping enough or the daycare will feed the baby way too much and they, and they don't have enough. And then they get in this trap of they're telling their body not to produce because they're supplementing and then they have to use more and more and then it just kind of fizzles out. So that would be like the summary of, I think, like what I call the pitfalls of why women struggle, but obviously there's so much more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a good overview to to bring light to the struggle that so many women have. And I imagine, oh God, especially here in the States where you might get six weeks to be home with your baby, which is so sad. Like that's so innately feels so wrong that you would leave your baby that quick because you have to um, for a lot of people. Yeah. And that, yeah, then how would our milk not dry up or how would stress not change our milk supply? And there's so many deeper layers that are really no woman's fault per se. It's it's like the culture that's 0% invested in helping women breastfeed. Yeah, no, it's awful. And, you know, like a lot of workplaces may or may not be supportive. Obviously, it's like they're supposed to legally, but sometimes they're not, um, as we know. So, you know, that can... And then there's also the cultural thing with people saying it's gross or it's weird to breastfeed past a certain age. Um, So there's that too. So it's just like every, from every angle, there's something being thrown at us to be like, here's another thing you got to overcome. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, we'll talk more about low supply and stuff here in a minute, but 
I think a lot of us don't even have the like basic understanding of how much a baby should be eating. I've heard different things like how tiny their little stomachs are, you know, in those first, you know, couple weeks and then how that grows over the months. Can you give us like an outline for how much do babies actually need? Yeah. So this is another thing that some women get like mentally and physically exhausted from, especially in the first few days, because they don't realize how much a baby would eat. And we get anxiety because we see these big bottles of formula and think that they need to be taking like, you know, two or four ounces as soon as they come out of the womb, um, which is not the case. Your body makes colostrum in the very beginning and you actually start producing it at about 16 weeks of pregnancy. And it's like very small amounts a baby is going to take in the beginning. So like when they're born, their stomach is the size of a cherry. So when they're born, they will literally only take like a teaspoon or two of colostrum the first couple days. And it moves up to like three or four tablespoons on like day three or four. And then the mature milk comes in and they might be taking like one ounce of feeding for a couple days. And then as they grow, the baby actually takes the most milk it's going to take at six months. And that's, you know, it varies for different and we don't even really need to know like the amounts. But like average is like two to four ounces for per feeding. But in those first couple of days, a lot of women just get nervous and think they have low supply because the baby is like eating constantly. And it's actually like quite normal for them to eat like every two hours, even every hour. That's because in the first couple of days, they're quote unquote, putting their orders in for milk. They're bringing your body, they're telling your body to make milk. That's like how the hormonal physiology of birth and, and postpartum is supposed to work. So I think, like I said, with the birth interventions, if, if women are separated or something goes, you know, off the rails, I think that's why some women may struggle with supply because they miss that like critical time period where the baby is putting in orders for milk. So I would expect in the first couple of days, very frequent and small feeds. Um, and then a newborn, like it's normal for them to kind of just like snooze all day and snack, you know, every now and then scheduling feeds is something that's like pretty new in terms of like history like it's not normal to only have a baby feed every three to four hours that's like based on formula feeding um, that kind of got introduced in like the 50s and 60s and that sort of age so people have in in their head this idea that the baby's going to eat every three hours and if if she eats frequent more frequently than that I'm doing something wrong or I have low supply um, which is not the case Interesting. It is interesting. It's like we want everything in our Western world on a schedule with feedings and sleep and and literally everything. And I like your perspective that it's not meant to be that way. And when the baby's hungry, they'll literally tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I got that way too with my daughter. Like if if it was before three hours and she wanted to eat again, I'd like internally feel like a failure. So that's why I like I want to educate moms on like, this is normal. Of course, if something hurts or something seems wrong, like, yeah, uh, like contact a lactation professional, but there's, there's ways to make sure that the baby is eating. And that's why I do so much education on like how to tell when the baby is actually eating so that if something is wrong, you know, when and when and where to get help. 
Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like really hiring someone like that is almost a necessity now, like just like having a doula or having a midwife or whoever you want to work with. This should be equally as important for most women. Yeah. Unfortunately, like it's not covered by insurance and it's not Mm -hmm. seen as a priority. Even if things are going well, you could like check in with someone and just to kind of like be like, well, this is what's happening. And ask your questions because it's like a new skill. It's like (laughs) something super important that your baby needs to eat. And like I said, it's usually, you know, the culture is just like, well, fed is best. Just switch to formula if it's hard. But it's like that ignores the fact that every, like most moms want to breastfeed. Like um, last CDC survey was like 85% start off breastfeeding. Um, and then like less than a quarter of them are still doing it at like six months in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Probably because of all these barriers, like we just talked about where eventually Mm -hmm. it's just easier to, to stop even if mom and baby don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that brings up an interesting point with breastfeeding. Like a lot of us think it's going to be an instinctual thing. We're just going to know how to do it. The baby's just going to latch right on and it's going to be this really, monumental moment. But what I've heard from so many women and patients is that sometimes it doesn't feel that way and you don't know how to hold them and you don't know the best way for them to latch or it's super painful because they're only like biting or, you know, not biting, but latching to like the the first portion of the nipple. Mm -hmm. How do you coach your clients through those basic starting points so that they can have like a nice welcoming into breastfeeding? Uh, focusing on like protecting something called the golden hour after birth. And it's unfortunate that not everyone can get that. Cause like I said, of the birth interventions, but like if you educate on how important it is, not just some like cutesy thing that crunchy moms do, like putting the baby skin to skin after birth, it's actually like super important to establishing a breastfeeding relationship. Um, and also we kind of have to unlearn some of the Western types of like educating on breastfeeding because it's also like rigid like you're sitting up straight and you're you're supposed to like stay still and all these positions are like modeled after bottle feeding right so like I think that's why like you said breastfeeding is supposed to be this intuitive instinctual thing but we're being taught it in ways that are so westernized and modeled after bottle feeding So there's different positions and stuff and different like ways you can kind of play into those instincts to assist the baby because the baby is born wanting to breastfeed. I think just a lot of this westernized stuff kind of gets in the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be so hard to like get a good latch, like you said, that isn't painful. Like it shouldn't be, but it is because of all these other factors. So I think like like playing into the instinctual parts of it like I said, protecting the golden hour and learning natural breastfeeding positions um, that aren't like modeled after bottle feeding is important. Yeah. You'll have to tell me if this is correct, but I had been told one position that babies do well with um, is like laying on your chest with their head kind of down into your breast and that that was easier digestion wise than them actually laying on their back with like the breast up above them because that can cause the like little air bubbles in their tummy. Yeah. So I do a lot of work on this. It's called laid back breastfeeding. And actually like within my breastfeeding prep course, I give people access to another course 
done by two IVCLCs called natural breastfeeding. And like all it is is about this one position and why it's beneficial. Tummy to tummy, um, the baby comes from under your breast. And in that way, like you said, it is better for digestion because like their tummy's up against yours and it kind of assists. And then they're coming from below the breast and they can latch on. Even if your baby doesn't have like a lot of head control, it gets them like a deeper latch because they're latching on from below. And a lot of people think like you want to put your nipple in their mouth like a bullseye, but you actually want it to be something called an asymmetrical latch where more of the breast tissue under your areola and nipple is in the baby's mouth. Um, then over it. So when they're tummy to tummy and you're kind of like laid back, not only are you comfortable, you can move your arms. You know, most likely the baby can come from below and like grab the bottom of your breast tissue. And like anything, it takes practice. It's not for everyone. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, that didn't work for me. But like it does take practice um, and getting used to. But if you use those instinctual positions actually like the baby is born with these reflexes after birth um, that are detrimental in the positions where you're holding him in like a cradle like a traditional bottle like the baby might bat at your breast or they might kick you like trying to kick up those same things when they're in that position are actually beneficial when they're on top of you because they're kicking up to your breast to try to get to the boob and then they're like, they're batting their hands at the boob so they can like get that good latch. And then the rooting instinct is also something they're born with, where they kind of like bob their head, which also might be seen as detrimental in the traditional holds because like some people think like, oh, my baby hates breastfeeding or, or they're just mad. But that head bobbing in the upright where you're laid back is actually beneficial because that's them like trying to latch on. Wow. I knew this was going to be like everything we've ever been taught is like not right. <laughs> um, and it's, it's turning out to be true. Wow. So even down to the positions that sounds like that can totally impact mom's comfort, mom's you know confidence, and then obviously baby's comfort. Yeah. And then another thing with these other positions where you're upright, first of all, I was super uncomfortable. Like it makes your back hurt. Um, you know, using those like bulky breastfeeding pillows, like you don't need any of these special pillows or anything. I mean, you can use them if you want, but you don't really need them. If, if you're in like a laid back, the best place to do it is in like a recliner. Or if you have like pillows on your beds, like you have to feel supported and relaxed for it to work. Um, like tensing muscles is like, that's how I felt when I was in the, like the upright with my first baby. I was just like, tense like I can't move or the latch is gonna fall off or something um but then like I have like a chase lounge in my living room and that's basically like where I nursed my son like did not move from that chair because I could just lean back and he was kind of just like laying on me chilling mm -hmm. that sounds so much more comfortable and more like other mammals where yeah they just lay down and they're relaxed they're not holding the little baby per se and the baby knows exactly what to do Today's episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. If you're like me and live for a good night's sleep, 
these sheets will change your life. Made from super soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, it is softer than cotton and has been on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row. I've used Cozy Earth sheets personally for almost a year and I will never go back to any other brand. Besides being the softest sheets I've ever used, they're also temperature regulating and Cozy Earth even offers a 100 night sleep test. That means you can try their sheets for 100 days and if you don't love it, send it back and get a full refund. Your bedroom should feel like a sanctuary and your sleep is sacred. And that's why I believe it's so important to create a bedroom environment that feels cozy, comfortable, and relaxing. Right now, you can take 40% off of your Cozy Earth order with code GODDESSPODCAST. Just go to CozyEarth.com, find your favorite set of sheets, and use code GODDESSPODCAST to save 40%. And be sure to send me a message on Instagram and let me know if you're as obsessed as I am. This just came to me, but how long after a baby is born, usually do we want them to start breastfeeding? Ideally, like you want to get that golden hour one to two hours after birth. Um, okay. You really want to advocate for yourself. Like the doctors just think, especially if you have a C-section, you might just think like, oh yeah, you can do it later. But um advocating for yourself which is hard it's hard because they'll just say no we don't do that and that'll be the end but ideally you want and this is not to say you can't breastfeed if you don't get this but I just want women to know that they can like advocate for it if that's something they want um so one to two hours after birth like ideally the baby would be put if everything's okay put on your chest even if the baby's like quote unquote not okay like maybe they need some you know, whatever procedures need to be done, you know, whatever, which those can wait, to be honest, but if they need like some stimulation, the baby can still be on the mom's chest while mm -hmm. they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So ideally, they would just go right on your chest and just kind of hang out there. And this is like, really important to like, for bonding and stuff, where they're just like looking at you. And then Sometimes the baby might like crawl up, like I said, with those little reflexes, kicking their feet, crawl right up to the breast and latch on. Doesn't happen always. You might need to, like I tried it with my son. Um, I kind of had to guide his head over. And then ideally you want them to latch like within one to two hours after birth. Because then like after that kind of two to three hours after birth, they go into this like deep sleep state for about 12 more hours because they just like came out of your womb and they're in this new world and they're tired. So they need to rest. So like, it's kind of helpful to catch them before they go into that deep sleep state. And it's not to say like breastfeeding is ruined if you miss it, but it's like, that would be the ideal. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I've heard some women say that their babies are so sleepy when they come out and they like pass out for a couple hours. And I guess yeah. maybe at that point, baby just, just, that's what they need in the moment and then mm -hmm. they'll be ready to feed. But I wondered what the actual window of ideal latch time was. Yeah. And I mean, they, they'll still, it's still possible to latch. Like if you miss that, like with my daughter, I had a ton of interventions, didn't, get to really try until the next day. And I mean, she still last, she had a little more trouble, but um, I just think it's worth saying that you should advocate for that skin to skin time to facilitate like the best breastfeeding relationship possible. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm curious about your opinion on pumping because as a first time mom, it sounds a little daunting, honestly. Yeah. I'm like breastfeeding is one thing. Now hooking myself up to a machine, that sounds like another level, but you know, with the intention of storing some milk for the future. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. And then also if you tend to prefer hand pumps or electric ones. So I always recommend moms have the double electric pump just because you don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, if things go off the rails and baby won't latch or something, just having that like backup and a lot of insurances cover it. So, I mean, cost shouldn't be a factor there. Just having it just in case would be beneficial because just like having these things before things start being stressful, I think is just easier on your mental health. Like say your baby wouldn't latch and now you're scrambling to get a pump, right? So like that's stressful. A lot of hospitals, like you can rent them or use them, but that's just my recommendation to get the double electric pump. And a lot of moms are like, well, when do I pump? I need to build a stash. Like, what do I do? So unless your baby is having trouble latching or they're having trouble actually transferring milk, um, meaning getting the milk out of your boob because of tongue tie or other in, you know anatomical issues, like you don't need the pump. Um until you need it, right? Until you want to leave baby. Like you do not have to pump really at all unless you want to. What I would suggest like if you want to build a small stash is pumping after the first morning feed starting at like six to eight weeks. Pumping after the first morning feed, you know, throwing it in the freezer. Usually there's like a ton of milk in the morning. Um, and then you don't need a huge stash. Like a lot of people get kind of discouraged by these huge freezers you see on on you know social media like you don't need that because when you go to work you will actually give the baby milk from the previous day so you don't like need a stash I recommend two to three days worth of milk as just kind of a safeguard in case of emergency but you don't need a huge freezer because you'll pump give the baby the day the milk from the day you pumped and then you just pump again and you just keep giving the, the baby the milk. Like I had a freezer stash with my daughter, but I never used it unless one time I forgot to put my milk from the day in the fridge. Like that's the only time I ever used it. So you don't need to pump unless you're having an issue in the beginning until you either need to leave baby or you want to build that small stash. Like I said, wow, I did not know that. I have also seen these pictures of people yeah. that have, a million little little baggies of milk and it is daunting to think like oh like I, I'm supposed to be saving that much but that's no not no true. you don't need to interesting well with this kind of already laid out I was wondering I've read that sometimes it's difficult for a baby to go back and forth between breastfeeding and then bottle feeding with breast milk um, because it can change their latch or it can make breastfeeding more painful. So say at four months or six months, you did want to shift to a bottle part-time. Are there certain bottle nipples that are better or is it just kind of a tricky thing? Well, I mean, the one your baby will take, but ideally you want to look for like a gradual slope in a nipple. Um, so not the ones that are shaped like a breast, like ideal, like you would think like, oh, it's shaped like a breast. That's got to be the best. But actually the ones that are shaped like a breast 
the baby has to purse their lips to get on the end of that. So that makes them have an even smaller latch. Okay. Mm -hmm. So actually my lactation consultant, when I first had my daughter described them as like the eighties nipples, like the original, like regular bottle nipples that you think of when you think of like baby bottles from like the eighties and nineties, like gradual slope. Um, that allows for a wider latch. And I do have like a free guide bat- bottles and pacifiers for breastfed babies. If you want to like include that on the show notes. Um, so introducing a bottle, like it's a, I get questions from women all the time. My baby won't take a bottle and it's very stressful. Like you can try starting at like four weeks, maybe try a bottle once a week, you know, try to have your partner give it try to, if baby won't take it, like you don't want to make it a stressful event for the baby. You want to make it super calm and low pressure. Some women have to like leave the house so the baby can't like smell them or whatever. Some people find results with like wrapping the bottle in a shirt of theirs and having like dad give it. Um, But actually once a baby hits that five to six, seven months, Worst comes to worst, you can try like an open cup or a straw cup, and then the baby's also eating solid. So a lot of women panic that they won't take a bottle, but it's like, okay, it's not the end of the world. We can get milk into them somehow. They can eat their solids, and then when they're with you, they can breastfeed more. Okay, so if you're waiting more till the six-month mark for a bottle anyway, don't stress too much about it. Yeah, like I said, you can offer it low pressure once a week. But, um, and I mean, some babies will take a bottle and then they won't. So it's not like, it's, it's not something you can always safeguard against. Okay. If someone wants to breastfeed for as long as possible, when would be the earliest you would introduce a bottle? It totally depends on the person's situation. Like if they had to go back to work, some, some people don't introduce a bottle at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I say if you want to go back to work, I mean, if you are going back to work, say like the four to six month mark, like I said, I would give it, I would start trying maybe at four to six weeks. Like most lactation people are going to say like no sooner than six weeks. I don't really like hard rules. It's kind of like when you feel like is the best time for you um, and making it super low pressure, but you don't ever have to give a bottle if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I'm also like anti the hard strict, like if you do it before the, before this date, you're going to mess everything up. (laughs) So trust your gut, see how baby's feeling again, just be instinctual. It sounds like. Yeah. Okay. A big thing a lot of people wanted us to talk about is breast milk supply. And it's interesting because from my background in hormones and nutrition, I think part of this is unfortunately because so many women are undernourished and not eating enough while they're breastfeeding since when we're breastfeeding, we usually need 500 to 700 additional calories per day. And so for a lot of women that would be putting them in the like 2,500 to 3000 calories a day range, which is just simply not happening, unfortunately, No. for the vast majority of women, you know, a lot of women are still living on 1500 <laughs> calories a day. Um, and then a lot, of course, don't have the mineral stores, you know, pregnancy steals so much from us and our milk can only be as nutritious as the mineral stores we have in our body. 
Um, but that's just my own personal thoughts. So I'd be curious to hear how you support your clients who feel like they have really low supply. Are you coming at it from just a nutritional standpoint or what are you looking at? No, I mean, a lot of times it's something, like I said, that's gone wrong in the beginning. And it's it's really hard and heartbreaking for these women because once you reach a certain point, it's really hard to get that supply back. Like after six, I don't know, six to 12 weeks when it becomes less hormonally driven and more supply and demand driven, it's like if you've missed that opportunity, like sometimes it's hard to even get it back. And, and you know, the breastfeeding rule is the more you demand, the more supply you'll have. What I think it is, is more because, you know, the, the breastfeeding textbooks will say like less than 1% have primary low supply. So primary low supply would be like you actually ha have a lack of breast milk making tissue in your breast, something called IGT. Um, and, you know, the textbooks will say less than 1%, which I think it's it, I think it's higher as far as primary low supply. Primary low supply could also be like hormonal conditions. Like a lot more women have things like PCOS now, thyroid issues, um, you know, seeing as though like a lot more women are having infertility and that's like the cause of some infertility. I just think it is like a lot more hormonal issues going on nowadays are like driving up women with more primary low supply. As far as nutrition, like the breastfeeding textbooks will say, even in a famine, a woman can still breastfeed. Like unless you are literally like starving, you'll still make, you know, breast milk. I don't, that's not to say I don't think it's important to be nourished. Obviously with the diet culture and stuff, we're told to only eat, you know, 1200 calories, which I think is not going to be good. I think that puts more of a mental and an emotional and physical strain on you. You're mentally, physically exhausted, and that may cause you stress. Certainly the stress response is going to cause lower supply. But then a lot of the, and a lot of the low supply too is also what you call secondary, which like I said, is caused by something going wrong in the beginning or supplementing in the beginning without proper support for doing that. So low supply is complicated and it's a touchy subject, but I do think that it's, it's higher than what the old, you know, breastfeeding textbooks say, especially now in our culture. And just because a woman has secondary low supply doesn't mean she doesn't have low supply. Like it's still a problem for her. So if a woman wants to raise her supply, it's always just going to be either pump or feed more. We'll do like a plan for a couple of weeks. I'll give her like a pumping plan, but it's really important to understand like that's not meant to be forever. Like if you're trying to raise your supply and it's not happening after like 10 to 14 days max, like we need to shift to a different plan because that's mentally and emotionally taxing to be, you know, constantly doing that. So it's kind of like we need to have a balance between what's physically possible and what's like mentally possible. Yeah. I'm glad you're bringing up those two layers because I feel like the mental health piece doesn't get the 
I don't know, the time in the limelight, like physical things do. Can you share more about how a mama can keep her mental health balanced while breastfeeding or, or what kind of support she needs just to support her through the inevitable ups and downs? So I like to tell women get their ducks in a row and stuff while pregnant as far as support in your area. Because like I said, the, the pediatrician is not most likely not going to be a big help to you <laughs> during that period. So the first line of defense is the free support groups like La Leche League. A lot of, um, at least where I am, like every single county has their own breastfeeding coalition and they have like free support groups. So locating that while you're pregnant, locating a lactation professional while you're pregnant, getting support in other areas of your home, like if you have older children, plan for childcare because breastfeeding is going to be like your full-time job for at least several weeks. Um, you know, at least the first four weeks, it's like, yeah, you're going to be like breastfeeding a lot. Like that's your full-time job. So I think where the mental health suffers is women are still are, are having a baby and expecting to just go back to their normal lives. Um, cooking and cleaning or doing whatever else they need to do, going back to work, um, getting like getting some freezer meals and some some food of stored away so you can have like easy one-handed meals and snacks, um, making sure you're like keeping yourself nourished. Um, maybe even hiring a house cleaner and like these aren't things that are like, breastfeeding advice or breastfeeding support like traditionally but I think like it's impossible to learn how to breastfeed and and like be a mom without all the support around you so like locating that beforehand is really important um and I know like not everyone can access all these things as far as like childcare or like a cleaner I really like the idea of foregoing the regular baby shower and buying all these things. And, you know, some of the stuff is really expensive, right? Like these new gadgets and like people have no problem spending $1,500 on a bassinet, but like the idea of a hiring a house cleaner is like outlandish. So kind of shifting your mindset around that shifting your mindset around like, this is my full-time job. This is what I'm going to be doing. Things are not going to be quote unquote back to normal in my house, with my partner, with my body. And that's okay. Prioritizing sleep is another thing, which seems wild, right? Uh, with a newborn, but really it should be like your, <laughs> your second priority, feed baby, or maybe feed baby, feed yourself and then sleep. So I know that phrase like sleep when the baby sleeps, like it gets a lot of hate, but like, I don't care about anything, but when I can sleep, when I have a newborn, like I will go to bed at 6 PM. Like if that's what needs to happen, that's what I will do. Um, so, you know, some other things as far as mental health goes, like when I say like, we don't want to just like cover up the mental health issues, like with a band aid, like actually look into treatments, like therapy or, um, you know, medications are mostly safe for breastfeeding. So looking into actual treatments, if breastfeeding is like super important to you, you don't have to like give that up as a first line of defense for your mental health. Mm, okay. 
see, I'm taking notes over here, like <laughs> learning so much from all of this. And you're so right. You know, everyone is so lovely and willing to give the most incredible gifts. And, and like, like you said, all these gadget things that like, I don't know that anyone really needs per se, but maybe they're nice to have. But yeah. instead, what if everyone collectively was like choosing to be part of your meal train or was all helping you invest in a lactation counselor or yes, know, it could be so different. I know. Um, and it's like, I feel like it gets a lot of backlash, maybe from like older, older people. Like it seems tacky to ask for money or something. I think that's why it's <laughs> just like a cultural thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, and I have no affiliation with them, um, but Be Her Village. I'll just plug them. They have like their, okay. they have like, it's like a program that's a registry for all these services. So you can like set up a registry and instead of having people buy you things, they can donate to these services. Plug them. They sound fabulous. Okay. I just wrote that down. Amazing. Well, lastly, I have a bunch of listener questions. So we'll just kind of go through them popcorn style. Um, and they're all just kind of the gaps that we haven't talked about yet. So the first one a woman asked was, are lactation cookies helpful to buy? Do you recommend them or do you have a recipe you tend to use? Um, I mean, cookies are delicious in my opinion. Um, <laughs> they don't really help. They could help minimally with supply, but they are not necessary. What helps with supply, like I said, is that demand on the body. They are not something that you would ever use as a first line of defense. There's different substances that do have like a galactico, which is like milk raising effect on your body, but you have to like demand the milk by removing more milk. So like really removing more milk is the only surefire way to produce more milk. Okay. Good to know. So maybe <laughs> helpful, but like, that's not your first step is to go buy no. lactation cookies. Got it. I yeah. like cookies though. I'm all about it, honestly. Like I, like I made some, just because like it's an easy snack to grab while you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So there you go. It's it's I, more of an enjoyment thing then. Yeah, like I made them and froze them and just like had them in a bag. So can't hurt. Can't hurt. Okay. Another woman asked, "Do you notice a trend where once a woman's period comes back, her supply tends to drop before her bleed?" Yeah, so many people, this was like a big thing too. So I wanted to chat with you about it. But um, this actually happened to me with my son. Not anything like super detrimental, but one thing you can do is take a two to one calcium magnesium supplement and you start that when you ovulate and then you take it until the first couple days of your period. Um but the the supply dip during your period, like it shouldn't destroy your supply, like totally. It should just be kind of a temporary thing. Maybe baby's a little more fussy that day, or you just nurse a little more, demand a little more milk, and it should it should like right itself. But that supplement is like an evidence based tool to use. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that as well. Another question, if we enjoy breast stimulation with our partner before we're pregnant, will breastfeeding change future pleasures with our partner? Um, I think that's personal dependent. 
like I don't think like sensation doesn't change, but it might change mentally, if that makes sense. Like now you're used to it being like a sexual thing and now it's like a mom thing and a maternal thing and it's like you're feeding your baby and the sensation might change for you mentally. Um, but it's all, it, it is the same sort of mechanism in your brain because it's oxytocin that's released. And that's not to say like you feel sexual feelings towards your baby, but it's like, that's the love hormone. Um, so I think it's totally person dependent. Okay. Good to know. Are there any benefits of breastfeeding into toddlerhood? Yes, absolutely. I'm actually doing a presentation on this for a summit in the summer. And I just made my, um, my presentation yesterday. So toddlers, like it actually is nutritionally beneficial um, because, you know, a lot of toddlers get picky um, with their food and breast milk is obviously like the best nutrition they can have here. I had this um, Kelly mom article up. So in the second year, Breast milk can provide 29% of their energy requirements, 43% of their protein requirements, 36% of their calcium requirements, 94% of their vitamin B12 requirements, and 60% of their vitamin C requirements for a toddler. So it's absolutely nutritionally beneficial, but that's not the only reason it's beneficial. And I think this is why breastfeeding into toddlerhood kind of like weirds some people out because they're like, well, the baby is done taking a bottle, so why would you still breastfeed? But it's actually like, it's about like mothering through breastfeeding is about connection and kind of teaching boundaries, right? Because you have to eventually put boundaries up, especially if you have like a super boob happy toddler like I do right now. You're not just <laughs> going to be like whipping it out all the time. Um, so teaching them boundaries, teaching them um, like emotional regulation too. And then obviously sleep support and, you know, nursing to sleep is what we're taught this, like this bad, horrible thing, but I actually find it as like a really easy and quick tool to get my toddler to sleep. (laughs) Like I don't need any drama at bedtime. I can just Mm -hmm. nurse him to sleep. Mm -hmm. Totally. So cool. That's wild that it it can provide that much nutrition for a toddler. That's, yeah. That's insane. And my wow. kids are really picky, so they need it. <laughs> <laughs> they need all the help they can get. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. Another question. Do you know of any good non-toxic or non-plastic containers that are good for storing milk? I mean, you can just store it in mason jars. Um, they can go in the freezer if you really want something glass. I mean, obviously there's glass bottles. A lot of glass bottles come with a little cover if you don't put the nipple in the bottle, like they come with a little cover you can put instead. So you could just store it in glass bottles or you could just do like little, like those jam mason jars. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure it's cool before you put it in the freezer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just use the regular plastic bags, which is not the most non-toxic, but. But I'm sure they're easy and they stack easy and yeah. there's a convenience for sure. To, there's to also like, I have no experience with this. I just like seen them on Instagram, but like, there's also these new like silicone ones, I think. Hmm. Okay. So there's options. There's yeah. a bunch of things. Okay. 
Um, another woman said, I've been told to start pumping before birth to help milk come in faster. Thoughts on that? And will that impact my colostrum levels? Oh, okay. So I did a whole series on antenatal colostrum expression. I wouldn't pump though. So you can look up like hand expression of colostrum. You don't want to start before 36, 37 weeks is when it's recommended to start. And then also like ask your doctor because sometimes it's contraindicated. Like if you have risk of preterm labor or something, but so what you would do is like hand express and you can do this into a syringe or even just a little medicine cup. And then you can like pull it up into a sterilized syringe and put them in the freezer. So there's a couple of benefits to this. It, there are some, some studies that say like it can increase your milk supply when after baby, you don't need to get discouraged or stressed if you're not getting anything because it means nothing about your supply because what, what stimulates your milk supply is the drop in hormones after the placenta comes out. So if you're not getting milk when your baby's still in you, that it's not, is no indication of future supply. And it's not going to take, quote unquote, take away from the baby um, to okay. answer that. But I do have, I mean, in my course, I included a free guide about antenatal colostrum expression and I got it from a gal, Stacy Gullman on Instagram. I'll also give you her name. And she has a whole account just on that. Wow. So there's... There's, so, there's so many, like we could do a whole podcast just on this, but like not only do you have that frozen colostrum just in case, but it also increases confidence because now you're like, you're seeing that your body's making milk and it's coming out and you know that you can do it. So it increases confidence and it also learning hand expression can be really important too. Okay. That's so wild. There's just so many layers to everything like this that it's, it's, it's incredible to me. Okay. Um, just a couple more questions. Do you have any favorite teas for lactation? Oh, no, I don't. Well, I really liked that. I know a lot of people drink that red raspberry leaf tea, like at the end of pregnancy, mm-hmm. I just like kept continued drinking it <laughs> postpartum, yeah. um, like iced. Um, but no, so like I said, with the cookies, it's not something that you need. I would avoid mint, uh, fenugreek, or sage in your teas because those things can lower supply. So make yes. sure your tea does not have mint. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I think that's... Yeah, a lot of people use essential oils and stuff and they don't know yes. that that's going to drop their supply. Um, any favorite ways to avoid cracked or painful nipples? Yeah, so cracked nipples, they might be a little bit sore in the beginning. Like you just, you probably aren't used to someone sucking on your nipples, you know, 14 <laughs> times a day. I don't know, maybe you are. <laughs> but if you are, They can be a little tender in the beginning, but like it should not be, if you're getting to the point of cracked and extremely excruciating, like you need to get lactation support as soon as possible because that's not normal. (laughs) I think Mm. that's another thing why a lot of women like stop breastfeeding because it's just so painful and they think like this is how it's always going to be. So getting a deep latch is the way to avoid that. There are a multitude of reasons why 
your baby might have trouble getting a deep latch. Like we talked about the positioning a little bit. So I would, as a first line of defense, I would work on positioning and that, that asymmetrical latch. And then if you're still having trouble, I would get to support immediately. Okay. Good to know. And lastly, I think the thing everybody's most scared of when it comes to breastfeeding, any mastitis prevention tips? Oh gosh. Yeah. So mastitis happens from an inflammation in your breast due to like too much milk trying to get through, you know, a too small duct. So sometimes women get mastitis in the very beginning just because their milk is coming in really fast and they might have some sort of oversupply. So there's kind of like two phases here. In the very beginning, right after birth, some causes would be like if you're not, like I said, those birth interventions, if you, if you don't get the baby latched on and you don't get the baby removing milk immediately, it can get backed up and that can cause it. But then later in the breastfeeding relationship, some things that can cause it would be like skipped or missed feeds or maybe you're wearing your bra too tight or you're sleeping on your stomach. There's kind of like a couple of phases through of mastitis, like it starts usually as a clogged duct. And then if you don't treat it or you don't do things to reduce inflammation, it kind of progresses into mastitis. And the old paradigm as far as mastitis is like get antibiotics, but actually like I just watched a presentation on this the other day. It's more, it's not always a bacterial infection. It's more just inflammation. So as, as to prevent it, you got to keep moving milk. And in the beginning, if your baby's not removing milk effectively, that's why it's, I think it's important to have that pump on hand in case, get to someone to evaluate your baby, you know, as soon as you can. Mastitis and clogged ducts aren't really quote unquote normal. I mean, they're common, but when milk is moving and things aren't inflamed, then you shouldn't be getting these clogged ducts and mastitis. So like the new line of defense is like icing it and taking ibuprofen to reduce inflammation so you can like get the milk flowing a little. You don't want to continuously just keep pumping and pumping because that just causes your body to make more milk and then it gets backed up more. So yeah, there's a lot to mastitis, but like I said, I sound like a broken record, but like if your baby isn't removing milk for some reason, like you need support. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know to not just pump with mastitis because I've seen women do that saying like, oh God, it's so painful, but you just got to pump it and you just got to get this out. And now I'm like, oh, okay, that's really good to know. Don't put yourself through that suffering, like clear inflammation. You would continue to feed as normal and maybe you'd like right. hand express or pump just a tiny bit just to like, you know, relieve yourself. But it actually like, these recommendations are like brand new to, to not pump, to, to quote unquote, get it out because there's really nothing to get out. It's actually like breast tissue that's inflamed. That's like closing the duct. So massaging it really hard and like causing more damage and pumping is just actually like making our milk to get backed up and like causing more damage to the tissue. So the new kind of 
line of defense now is reducing inflammation when you have a clogged duct or mastitis and not just immediately jumping to antibiotics and like pumping a ton. Okay. Fascinating. I learned so much today, Andrea. My mind is kind of like, holy, holy crap. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> it is a lot, but it's, I'm so glad we have conversations like this on this podcast because women need to know this, like whether it's our cyclical health, our hormones, how to get pregnant, how to maintain a healthy pregnancy. Like this is all stuff. None of us are taught. So unless we're seeking it out, we're just totally in the dark. Um, so I'm so grateful for people like you that are so knowledgeable and making it easy to understand. Where can everyone find you and connect with you if they love your approach? So everything is on Instagram. That's kind of my main hub at instinctual mothering. Uh, same handle on TikTok. I've kind of dabbled in that a little Brave. bit. And then Me on TikTok, <laughs> yeah. they're mean. <laughs> yeah, they are. I just ignore them. Um, That's good. <laughs> but like all the links to my freebies, like I talked about the bottles and pacifiers for breastfed babies. I have a latch guide on there. Um, all the links are in my bio on Instagram. And I am going to be enrolling in my breastfeeding preparation course coming soon. I think in August, beginning of August. So you can hop on the wait list for that also uh, through the link in my Instagram bio. So yeah, that's where I'm, I'm pretty active on there. I should probably put down my phone more, but <laughs> I'm addicted. I love it. So that's it where you'll so find fun. me. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Andrea. And for everyone thank listening, you. if you love this episode, tag Andrea and I on Instagram, share this. If you know a mama who's struggling with breastfeeding or someone that is newly pregnant, please share this information so that this can get out there to more people. And otherwise, my friends, we will catch you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.